I'm Gene Rapay, he's Chris Stanzial, and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. Chris, the hawk is dead, and yes. in case you weren't sure if it was dead, the women's basketball team went back and destroyed them. So now we are pretty sure it is totally 100% positively dead. Yeah, it kind of felt like a round of Mike Tyson's punch out where we go in there, beat the crap out of them. Uh, the men's team goes in and beats the crap out of them. They get back up because they press the A button a bunch of times. And then just when they have enough power to get back up, the women's team goes in there to finish the job for a TKO. Oh, yeah. It, it was amazing, too, because both were blowouts. <laughs> There was no room at all for St. Joe's to even be like, oh, well, you know, at least the games were close, so we hung in there with the No, no, it was just two utter beatdowns. Yeah, the best part was in that men's game, they toyed around with them a little bit. I think they were in it for about 10, 15 minutes until we went off and just started rapid-firing threes. Like, we just typed in a cheat code, and all of a sudden, <laughs> everyone was just raining it in from deep. Yeah, it was a little concerning in the beginning, a little bit. You figured that in the second half they would catch fire. But not that type of fire, you would think. It was it was like Creighton versus us in sophomore year, that type of uh, shooting performance. Yeah, and we got to finally see what it was like to be on that end, and it felt great. It feels it feels very yeah. fun. I can see why they were very happy when they beat us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. It was good to see a, a raggy bomb reversal. Especially against St. Joe's, because we don't like them. They're kind of like your younger sibling who really wants to beat you, even though they're not that great at anything. And it was nice to also see the women's team. They got to host St. Joe's, come back, only their second home game of the season. And they won by their biggest margin of victory against the Hawks ever in women's basketball, ever like history, ever. Uh, and that that's exciting. That's always great to beat down your rival twice in one weekend, 24 hours apart. Can never, never gets old beating those guys. You're exactly right. And I think the men's team actually set the largest margin of victory in that series as well. I know that they sunk the most amount of three-pointers in program history, so it's great that we're also getting all these records <laughs> while we're while we're at it, while we're having fun. It's all about having fun. Yes, yes, for sure. It was a record-setting weekend. And something, honestly, I didn't think there would be uh, much record-setting. I just thought it was kind of be two easy, breezy wins. But, hey, if you can light them up and almost triple the thread for the men's and the women's just absolutely beating down their opponent. It's great. So the men's team, they went into Hagen Arena on Saturday night, 5.30 p.m. tip-off. It's now what, six straight on St. Joe's? Yes. Six, six straight years? Mm -hmm. Undefeated since the Kandasevich curse. Still rolling since Halil decided to flip the bird on the whole student section, therefore cursing a St. Joe's <laughs> university for possibly an eternity, or at least until further notice. Wildcats come in, they destroy St. Joe's, leave no room for any doubt, life, second chances, comebacks, nothing like that. Totally demolishing the Hawks, 94-53. to Chris, it was a good game because we got to see a little bit of everybody, even the bench mob, and that's when you know it's a, it's a good time. What stuck out to you about this game other than the fact that we just dropped 19 threes, shot over 50% on the floor, and just completely routed the Hawks to remain undefeated in Big Five play and on the season. The first thing that kind of stuck out to me was the fact that Amari wasn't starting. I felt that was a, a little weird at the time, but I think it was because he didn't make weight. It was, is that is that a correct? Is that uh, That's what I saw floating around on Twitter. I'm not exactly sure if that was officially confirmed or not. But him not making weight and not starting and going with Dante, I was like, oh, that's not good. And what did Omari do? But but like we talked about last 
uh, when we were recapping Battle for Atlantis, when they kind of went with Dante over Amari, we're like, oh, that's good. They can get off to a fast start, quicker tempo, that type of play. Didn't exactly start off best, but they, they did come around eventually, obviously. But I thought, again, Jalen Brunson had a great game. He was in control early. And then Phil Booth, I have to say, was probably the most impressive player this game. 6-12 from the field, 4-9 of nine from 3. He grabbed 8 boards somehow. Dish 6 assists, finished with 17 points. I thought that was probably his best game of the season. He really started to light it up in the second half. And again, Bridges, I thought he played great again. 18 points, 4-7 from deep. A lot of his shots came in the second half little towards garbage time, but, you know, he was hitting them and everyone was making them. And really, I, I know you said not to like harp on that. That was like the main storyline from the game. Yeah, we will always be guard you and we will always be a three-point shooting team. It was an amazing display, really. You would have thought that if we've always flirted with this record, I know against Lafayette or Nickel State, we were very close with the record. We'd always been flirting with it for a while. Even in recent years, we've always come close with, let's say, 15 threes or 16 threes, but we never really got over it. And finally, we got it. And yeah, it's impressive. We'll always be guard you. We'll always be a perimeter dominant team. We'll always be a, a shoot 'em up, sleep in the streets type of team. I really hope that they save some of this magic for their next game because we're going to need all that. We're going to mm-hmm. need all the magic. Yes. But yeah, you mentioned Omari Spellman sat out. Apparently, he missed his target weight by 1.2 pounds. 1.2 pounds overweight. Yeah, that's not, that's not exactly the best look, but... I mean, it's 1.2 pounds. I think if you just uh, just hold off for one meal for a day, I think you'll make it. Get get those detox cleansing teas or whatever they, they have you drink. Those work. Those work. I know that. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like the Chris Jenkins thing. When Chris Jenkins got benched for missing weight that one game, we thought that was totally bizarre. I don't remember that at all. When yeah, he missed one last year, his senior year. So I guess it really? shows that Jay really keeps a tight ship over there. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's smart. Got to keep them in shape. Yeah, it was kind of close in the beginning. We let them hang around, but then all of a sudden it was just three after three after three after three after three after three after three. <laughs> and then before you know it, you look up and we were just blowing them out. Very impressive shooting performance. It's always fun too. It's always fun to watch. Yes. Just literally dropping threes. Gillespie had three. Mm-hmm. Spellman had four. Booth had mm-hmm. four. Bridges had four. And then Brunson and DiVincenzo had two each. It was good to see everybody. It's always fun to get be a part of just beating your rival it's always fun winning against st joe's and everyone gets the best bob got a little burn yeah. i wish someone scored but you know yeah. they got some burn so it was good to see them out there They're, we're getting there They're, we're getting we're getting the boards peyton heck grabbed the board tim delaney got a board and not to be overlooked and omari spellman did play a pretty good game five of eight from the field four or five from deep like you said finished with 16 points and grabbed 11 boards 10 of the defensive variety so he did finish with a double double so we just can't overlook that Granted, a lot of that work came in when the game was already decided, but nonetheless, still put up a great stat line for coming off the bench when, in reality, we didn't even know that was a possibility at the beginning of the day. Yeah, and he also had four blocks to go along with it, so oh, true. that was working. Oh, that reminds me. You guys, of you who actually tweeted it out, I forget who the color commentator was, but said, like, oh, Villanova doesn't have a real rim protector. And then the next play, <laughs> St. Joe's drove to the basket and Amari kind of let him drive by him, but it was kind of the bait him into go- going for the layup and then he swatted it right away. And it was like the funniest thing. I was like, oh, there- there's your rim protector. No, right? That was just like perfect timing. St. Joe's, they honestly didn't really stand a chance. I mean, James Demery was completely locked down, 14 points, 6 of 17 on the floor. Mm-hmm. 
And then you had Shavar Newkirk go four for 13. Really took away two of the three core guys. Taylor Funk came off the bench, and he wasn't that bad. The, the true freshman from Mannheim, Pennsylvania, he had 13 points, five of nine shooting. But all, all in all, I think we kind of knew this is a St. Joe's team that was limping in, had a couple of really key injuries, very young, pretty young. And now they we just dropped them to four and four. I think we know that this was kind of the tune-up game for what we're about to experience at the Jimmy V Classic in Madison Square Garden. But regardless, you know, I don't, I don't even care about what's next or what's after that. We could be 0 for 16. We could be 16 and 0. As long as we beat St. Joe's, it's always fun. It's always fun for me. We talked about it in the for the preview for this game, but St. Joe's we mentioned was a very bad three-point shooting team. Well, they they definitely showed it on Saturday. <laughs> Five of 24 from deep. 21% from beyond the three-point arc. That is brutal, absolutely brutal. And you had a lot of duds. Uh, Edwards 0 for 5, Demery 0 for 1, Longprey 0 for 2, Newkirk 2 for 8. Oh, it's just brutal. I mean, New- uh, Funk, as we said, was like pretty much their only threat from outside. He hit 3 of 7, and I think a couple of them were in the first half when the game was still kind of close. But other than that, like it was just brutal. They have no ball movement. Their drives to the basket are just not not the best they they don't really know what to do when they get there it's just it's not a great game for them all around in this like you said this was pretty much a tune-up just a warm-up game you didn't think it was going to be this big of a blowout but hopefully they can keep this type of shooting going into madison square garden yeah we've seen them drain all their magic what was it against nickel state they dropped triple figures Mm-hmm. and then they go into western kentucky and then all of a sudden it's like no one knows what's going on right yeah they- <laughs> completely <laughs> light up lafayette and nickel state and then we come in and all of a sudden everyone's gun shy and missing the rim <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't get it it's like they can only use shoot, like make a certain amount of threes per week or whatever it is remember <laughs> la- last year in the biggies tournament they lit the lamp against St. John's. That that was a great shooting performance. Specifically, Dante had a phenomenal game. And then against Seton Hall, they had probably their, I think it was their worst shooting performance of the year. So it just, it just doesn't make sense. I don't like that whole Jekyll and Hyde thing. And you're kind of hoping that one day they're able to correct it. And you kind of need to correct it for Tuesday because if you have that type of game like you did against Seton Hall last year, if you have that type of game against Western Kentucky, against Gonzaga, you're done. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about tonight's game in a little bit, but I, I just want to sidestep and add, I will say that one of the best game, the top five games I ever attended while I was at college was going to Hagen Arena as a Villanova fan in a hostile environment and just heckling everybody with a bunch of Villanovans. <laughs> so much fun, just so yeah. much fun going in there, and it was great to because we were blowing them out one by at least 30 almost hung 100 on them but it was just so great it was, there was just like a contingent of 40 villanovans in a sea of red i unfortunately never had the chance to go to hagen i mean i had the chance i just never got the opportunity to go so i can't really speak from experience but that sounds like fun wish i could have done it at some point they got and they got quiet like real quick. Obviously, when your team is down like more than ten, it's kind of hard to get into a game. But they kind of just let up after that. There was like not any noise coming whatsoever, and it didn't sound like there were that many Villanova fans on TV. I, I mean, I wasn't at the game, so if someone was at the game and they want to correct me on that, go right ahead. It didn't seem like there were a lot of Villanova fans there, just because it seemed like after every basket, it was just like dead silence. There was barely any cheering, and you would think that the Villanova fans would eventually uh, catch on. But yeah, that that was uh, it was another beatdown. I think I think even St. Joe's fans were so bored. I think one of them was knitting at some point because we, I got a Snapchat from our friend Patrick. Yes, yes, was, that was perfect. 
Yes, yeah. I also got that same Snapchat. So yeah, a Saint Joe fan, literally second row from the court, knitting as Villanova yes. was up by twenty-five. I mean, I guess it's got it's got to be a Christmas present of some sort. There's there's no other way. To, there's no other excuse to be knitting at a basketball game. Come on. Also, I was with some Saint Joe's people over the weekend, and I found out because we asked this question last episode. I found out that there is a varsity hawk of sorts and a junior varsity hawk. So apparently the varsity hawk does like all the big sport games. So it men's and women's basketball. I'm not exactly sure which other sports, but then the junior varsity hawk does like the volleyball uh, and the sports of that ilk. It's not the whole same person that does it. So I guess their arms do get to rest at some point. But man, whoever the varsity hawk was got a workout in this week. (laughs) Yeah, it must be easier to flap your wings. Like, obviously, when your team's winning, you know, you get hype. But then at some point when you're getting blown out, it's like, oh, I just want to go home. But I still have to hype up the crowd somehow. Yeah. I don't don't know how you do it. And especially you're going to blow it like this. Like, this is the type of game that takes forever and it doesn't doesn't seem to end. So even on a psychological standpoint, you're like, this game could be over right now. But I still got 10 minutes left in in the second half where we're down 30. And now we got a pretty big, big one coming up tonight. But. Before we get to that, let's talk about the women's team because they also had a big game, specifically Kelly Jaycott. Man, she was just totally locked in from the get-go. Made seven of her eight first shots of the game, scored 18 of her 27 points in the first half alone. Her 27 points, a new career high. They blew out the Hawks. Once again, Villanova just absolutely just bleeding blue all over on the Hawks and the Red of St. Joe's. But yeah, the women's team, they take care of business at home, winning 79-44 to victory in that rivalry game for the women's basketball team. Chris, Kelly Jaycott, something special, man. Something special. She is just fantastic. And you just saw, you look at the stat sheet and you see players like Adriana Hahn and Alex Loon. They didn't really do much and they didn't really take that many shots. They just mainly deferred to her and just let her go to work and she she totally delivered yeah she really spearheaded the team this weekend 11 to 17 from the field two of six from deep three of three from the line finishing with 27 led the team by 11 points the next highest score was mary gadeka with 16 like you said just a great all-around performance from her and i think that might have been because of her sister sitting on the opposing bench yeah, she definitely asked Coach Pareta, like, oh, can I get like a few extra touches this weekend? Can mm-hmm. I get can I get the green light a little more? Yeah. You know, my sister's on the other side. I know she can't play because she has an injury, but like I want to be able to rub it in her face when I see her for Christmas, New Year's. I wanna I wanna talk to her about that. Yeah, definitely a co- topic of conversation at the Jaycott household on, on holidays and she she'll probably get like, I don't know, past the gravy first or something because of it. She's just absolutely phenomenal. She's a player that we had real high hopes for last year, going into last year. Five-star recruit coming out of Cumberland Valley, Pennsylvania. Gatorade Player of the Year twice in, I believe, over her junior and senior years. Just a fantastic scoring talent. Can do it all. Six-foot guard-forward combo. Didn't really live up to the expectations of last season as a freshman. Kind of struggled a little bit. And I think Preda mentioned that it was just literally – you know, some people just take longer to adjusting to the college game, and she was just one of those people who struggled. But that this year, he said, look out, because she's going to be great. And we're, we are totally seeing it. She's played phenomenally so far this season, but this is just her best work yet. Uh, she's never done anything as close to this. Just absolutely fantastic, locked in. The way that she just 
controlled the floor and just dominated on the ball, off the ball, catch and shoot, putting her head down, shouldering right through and driving and finishing at the basket and ones. She can really do it all. And I think this is exactly what Preda was imagining when he had signed her, got her to come here. He thought that this was the kind of player that she could be. And the scary part is she's only going to get better. So these 27 points, yeah, we talk about Adriana Hahn and Alex Lewin, but it might be a big three from this point on, in case if it hasn't been already. Yeah, we kept saying last year that, you know, the talent's there with her, obviously, but we're just waiting for her to take that next step. And obviously, after a few games this year, it looks like that she's in the process of doing so. And this game, hopefully, is the one that kind of catapults her into another level. And just as a team, I want to bring up team stats for Villanova. 31 of 56 from the field, but they only shot 19 threes. And we mentioned last time that they didn't shoot a lot of threes in their previous game. So it looks like they're trying to go for a more efficient offense, spread it out, more variety. Hopefully, that's a continuous trend. 10-11 from the free throw line. And also... On their defensive side, they did not allow one three-pointer against them. Uh, 0 for 5, and they were all taken by Alyssa Monahan. She missed all five. So not only was the offense clicking, the defense was clicking as well. They only allowed 14 points in the first half, so great job. Like, pretty much to basically decide the game. In the- yeah, the St. Joe's team that they went up against, I'm honestly surprised that it came out a blowout like this. I honestly didn't anticipate this, considering how St. Joe's was doing very well coming in. They were 5-1 and one, heading into Sunday's game. They just, their only loss was a real close one against a solid Temple team. They lost by three. This is a very balanced team and very similar in the way that Villanova's built in that they were a young team last year and then they brought back literally everybody. And because of that, you saw that they were performing a lot better. But they just ran into a brick wall and that is Villanova's defense. Regardless of how they might be shooting, whether it's inefficient or whether they can't close out in the fourth quarter, whatever the case may be. Their defense has always been consistent, and we saw them really locked down. Only one player got into double figures. As you mentioned, they didn't give up any threes. They restricted the St. Joe's to shooting below 30%. They locked down. Saravayu didn't do anything, really. Chelsea Woods, their second leading scorer, top rebounder, only had nine points, six rebounds. Like, it was just such a great all-around performance. All 40 minutes. No doubt. And this was the game that we've been waiting for. And hopefully this is something that can help springboard them moving forward because we've seen them struggle with closing out games or letting teams come back into it in the second half or let them hang around. This time around, just nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they're still undefeated. They're still rolling. And they're moving up on the polls. And that's a great feeling for them. Yep, absolutely. We kept harping on it last time, how. Got to learn how to close out these games, but they didn't even really have to close this one out. They they could have slept walked through the second half, and they would have they would have won by a pretty substantial margin. This game was pretty much decided in the first half due to great defense and absolutely lights out shooting from Jaycott. Yeah, I also want to just give a shout out to Mary Gadega. She played great again. She's just so efficient off the bench. Miss efficiency, sixteen points off seven of the ten shooting. Just continuing to just take smart shots, be a force inside, not force anything. And just be very efficient. When you when she has a ball and she shoots it up, more often than not, you can guarantee that it's going to come in. And Jenna Tucker, she's been a little shaky. She looked like she got into a little bit of a groove. 13 points, 5 of 10 on the floor at 3 of 7 from deep. She's a player that can – she's shown that she can sling it. She can make it. It's just a matter of just being consistent. Maybe this is just a little bit of an early season slump. 
But it was good to see her finally get into her groove offensively because they're definitely going to need her. But yeah, it's just impressive how Alex Lewin, Adriana Hahn literally combined for eight points. Adriana Hahn didn't even have any, and everyone else still was able to put up 71. So it's good to see that this is not a one-dimensional team. They don't rely on just two people, even though they are the ones at the forefront. It's a team effort, but we can also see that Kelly Jaycock can step up when she needs to. So they're moving up on the polls. Came out yesterday afternoon. Let's take a look where they are right now. The Lady Cats are now up to 22. They are 7-0, and undefeated, and they get rewarded with their blowout win and a couple of other nice wins this past week. Moving on up to 22. It feels better at 22. That way you know you're not at the caboose. No one will leapfrog you right away, and then you get knocked out. You're safely in until further notice. So Villanova seems to be the only Big East team remaining now. I think Marquette dropped out officially. Marquette's still receiving votes, and as is DePaul. Yeah, Villanova's the highest-ranked Big East team as we sit here on December 5th. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty exciting to see. Uh, it's pretty awesome that who would have thought we would be the highest-ranked Big East team at some point this year. It's kudos to them. They're, they're off to a hot start. They're playing very well, 7-0. You get rewarded for it, and it was nice to see them move up yesterday when the polls came out. Yeah, such is life when you go undefeated, at least early on in non-conference part of schedule, and then hopefully this will carry on through the Big East play. Not only carry on to Big East play, but hopefully this time next week we'll be talking about how they get to move up some more. Yeah, for sure. Oh, just one thing that stood out to me. Stanford has four losses, and they're still ranked 18. I guess that's just what happens when you have like a really good program. <laughs> But still, that's that's that seems like a lot of losses already, that and not low enough of a ranking. That is true. They're just one game above 500. I guess it's kind of <laughs> like you know Kansas with the men's team. Oh, you, oh, oh, you lose yeah. like five games <laughs> and oh, top ten, top two seed. <laughs> that was the year. Uh, that was the year we beat them. Our sophomore year, like when yeah, with Wiggins like and Embiid. Yeah, didn't they lose like nine times or ten times, and then there were a two seed? <laughs> Yes, they were. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, and like Lenardi's like, oh, well, you know, Kansas still there, not, still on that two line after their 10th loss of the year <laughs> against Texas Tech. And we're like, um, any time now, guys, you'd like to drop them. <laughs> It'd be really appreciated. But then they ended up losing. I believe it was to Stanford, actually, in the tournament. So then that, yeah. that was okay. Then it made up for it. Once again, the, the Wildcats take on Fairfield tomorrow night at 7 p.m. They're going to be on a very long road trip. I think that this mm-hmm. past Sunday was our last home game until January, so it's going to be a while. Yeah, January 2nd, nearly a whole month. Kind of a bummer, honestly. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, granted, you got you got Temple and LaSalle in there, so I guess you're staying relatively close to home. And even Fairfield's not that too far from Philly. But then you're at Creighton and then at Providence. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time. That is a long time away from home. Hopefully, the end. But then they obviously that means they'll close out the year with most games at home. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess you'd rather have when people just aren't away on break. Fairfield, three and five. They, they're not too hot. They did lose to Lehigh, which is a team that we stomped on by 20 at the PPL Center. Chris, on the scale from one to 10, uh, you know, undefeated Villanova just came off of a blowout win. Hopefully, they, I, I just don't see any chance of a letdown. But let's go one to ten. How concerned are you of a letdown? A two. Fairfield's just really not that good. And the only thing that is concerning that it is a road game and anything can happen in a road game. But I think they'll go in there, take care of business. You know, Fairfield is coming in after winning back-to-back games, but I'm just not too confident or too sold on them. 
they're just really not up to the level. And they lost to Lehigh, which is a team that we pretty much beat pretty easily. It wasn't too bad at all. It's got to be really helpful for the Cats to know. Got to make them feel a little bit better, boost their confidence. But yeah, I'm not too concerned at all. Once again, the game is tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at Fairfield. Hopefully it'll be on streaming on ESPN3. It's really hard because some of these games, they don't announce if they're going to be on until the day of. So if you have watched ESPN, Check back once in a while. It might be on there. I know that the Vermont Thanksgiving tournament was on ESPN3 the whole time, so I was able to check that out, which was cool. A couple of days in advance, and it just really didn't have any announcement for some of these. Hopefully, it'll be on Nova Nation All Access, but I doubt it. So I'm going to I'm gonna check ESPN3 tomorrow, and hopefully it'll be on there. So now let's talk about the men's team and their rankings. They say the same. We're still at number four, trailing Duke, Kansas, and Michigan State. It's okay. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's fine. Top five is nice. Gonzaga mm-hmm. moves up to number 12, so maybe we can get a nice quality win there, hopefully, tonight. But mm-hmm. you know what's groundbreaking? You know what shocked me? It wasn't, I'm not going to complain about Duke getting all the votes again. It is the fact that someone decided to give Georgetown votes to be ranked, and there they are at the bottom. <laughs> Receiving <laughs> votes from Georgetown for playing a varsity high school schedule. Four votes. More than Oklahoma State, UT Arlington, Western Kentucky, and Towson. I, I, I don't know who the guy, or whoever, whoever voter, whatever AP voter thought it was a great idea to put Georgetown in their freaking poll. You got to be kidding me. That's, that's lunacy. Someone gave me flack for putting Georgetown ninth in my Big East power rankings ballot that I do over at Big East Coast Bias. And he was like, oh, since when does going undefeated give you nine? And I was like, what? <laughs> was like, are, you, are we really going to do this? Is oh, this really the conversation we're going to have right now? Oh, no. That's, that's horrific. Like we were just saying with the women's team, you know, they're undefeated, but at least they beat some quality play along the line. Georgetown has the worst non-conference schedule according to Ken Palm right now. How is this allowed? How? They backed out of the PK-80 just so they can get this crap schedule <laughs> and so that they can play this crap, these crap teams and get an inflated record. Whoever the idiot was bought it, like, oh, oh, they're undefeated, so I'm going to throw them on my pole today. Oh, brother. Yeah, the thing I love to tell people when they tell me, like, oh, but they're undefeated, I go, okay, look at DePaul's record now. <laughs> If Georgetown stayed in the PK-80, this is what their record would look like. <laughs> yeah, they, they would have had at least two other losses. And when you're using the poll as a basis, that's <laughs> when you know you're screwed. And and also, if I'm any Georgetown fan, I would be sickened by the fact that my team is currently constantly in the same sentence as DePaul when it comes to talking about where they are in the Big East right now. Well, their fans are celebrating right now, Eugene, because this is the highest they'll be ranked all year. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if I should say that because they probably play two more crap games this week, and they'll, I bet you they'll win both by comfortable margins, and they'll get maybe more votes because whoever this guy is just must obviously love the Hoyas. I don't – I oh, oh. Oh, Rumor is that it's some guy from Virginia. This is like the guy who voting against Villanova to like when Villanova was receiving first place votes for like the first time in a while a couple of years ago. 
And he's like, oh, well, you know, they haven't played anybody yet. And we're like, dude, they played people. And then I remember VU Hoops kind of held like its own little uh, witch hunt of sorts to find the people who wasn't, wasn't voting for Villanova first overall. And then it's like the people who are like, oh, well, Villanova, they're just going to lose in March. I'm like, this has nothing to do with yeah, March. Yeah, this is, it has something to do with um. Right now, right what now. has happened so far? Yeah, this isn't this isn't a prediction of your where you think they'll be. It's where you think they are now. Oh God, that's just just horrendous, absolutely horrendous, and and that's why like people just don't take these rankings as seriously anymore. But at least Georgetown didn't get any votes on the the USA coaches poll, so at least at least we escaped that. Yeah, can you imagine if coaches were <laughs> boosting them up? Giving them a nice spot in the yeah. receiving vote section. Yeah, I, I I don't know to to, to tell you. I guess they must respect Patrick Ewing that much. Ridiculous. On the front side, this is probably Georgetown's highest ranking in like three years. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> it's got to be up. <laughs> but I guess this is just kind of like the the moral satisfaction of seeing your name back there in the in the receiving vote section. Yeah, with four, not just one. Like this is like I guess the guy thought. I guess he put them high enough to get them four points in the in that voting system. It wasn't just like the last team added. That's that's absolute lunacy. I would love to get this guy on here and to basically tell everyone with a straight face, complete honestly, yeah, that this team is better than a couple of the other teams that he put below Georgetown just so they get these four points. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear his reasoning. I would absolutely love it. I, I, what 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 sold you on? Oh, the fact that they're undefeated. Oh, oh okay. Did you see their schedule? Uh, I don't get it. So the men's team, they got a pretty big one coming up tonight. This is the game I've been so excited for. I've been talking about it since the preseason episodes. It's finally here. Going to be there tonight at the Garden. We got a preview up on View Hoops right now. I got to talk to Peter Woodburn. Of the Slipper Still Fits, our SB Nation sister site that reps Gonzaga. Gonzaga, use it interchangeably like tomato, tomato. It's probably <laughs> Gonzaga. I don't know. According to Mike J, it's Mike Gonzaga. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try saying that, even though I kind of use them interchangeably. But yeah, I got to talk to him. If you want to look at that, his to see what he had to say. He shed some light as a Gonzaga person, gave his point of view and perspective on the Cats and on this upcoming game. If you want to check out what he had to say, it's on View Hoops right now. We also have a preview by Catherine Ryan to help break down this game. Definitely check that out, too. But Chris, Gonzaga, defensive team, they've only lost once. They've looked pretty darn good this year despite losing Nigel Williams-Goss. I'm not even pretend to say his first name because we all know how to say his last name, Karnowski. Jordan Matthews, the former Cal transfer. And Zach Collins, obviously the NBA draft lottery pick who never started a game from high school to college. Just a dominant big man off the bench. He's also gone. Despite losing all those guys, they've been doing a pretty darn good job. Mark Few has been great. Gonzaga has been great. What can we expect from the Zags, the Bulldogs, the people over there from Washington State? Well, you're, you're going to expect – you're going to have to expect a tough and tenacious team. They do not let up one bit. The Bull, Bull, Bulldogs is a perfect name for them. They're very, very, they have a high motor. They don't let up. Mark Few doesn't allow for any lapses whatsoever, it seems like. And if there is a lapse, they quickly correct it. I forget who it was. It was either, I believe it was Brendan Riley who said, like, during the non-conference preview show, 
that Mark Few gets out the most with less. And I think he pretty much is the reason why this team just is, is still highly ranked year in and year out, even after losing basically four-fifths of their starting lineup last year. But like we said also, it's going to be tough for them coming to the East Coast. Villanova is very familiar with the Garden. Gonzaga, not so much. Gonzaga did come off a big win against Creighton where they kind of struggled at first, but then they absolutely whipped them in the second half. So you're not exactly sure what team that'll show up, but with few coaching, I assume it would be the second half team. You got that. And then from like a player standpoint, Jonathan Williams averaging just under 16 points per game. He's probably their star player that you're going to want to watch out for. Josh Perkins, another great player. He's having a high percentage shooting season, 47% from the field, 55% from deep. Killian Tilly, 12 points per game, shooting well from the floor, just under 60%. It's unbelievable how they can just rotate guys in and out every single year and not miss a beat. It, kinda, it almost kind of sounds like us in, in that sense, kind of us of the West Coast. And it really wasn't until this past NCAA tournament where they were really able to cement themselves because it always seemed like they were not able to really take that next step, get to a Final Four, get to an Elite Eight. And even though they had all these high seats in the past couple of years, know they had a lower seed when we won the championship they were able to win their first round game with that but yeah they lost to unc in the NCAA title game this team's still looking to prove something fuse looking to prove something and i think this is the type of game that they might be able to yeah nice battle between two catholic universities that are both pretty darn good at basketball one thing that i thought was interesting was how there, there just seems to be an overall sentiment how gonzaga fans if they could if there was a way, they would love to join the Big East, but obviously logistics and the distance between the East and West Coast is just way too much. You know, like you said, it's it's plug and play with these guys. Perkins, Williams, Silas Melson's another guy. They they all played minutes in the rotation last year to the title run. Granted, they were the secondary guys. They definitely took the backseat to the more prominent guys that we mentioned earlier. But we're seeing right now, it's their time to shine. Plug and play, they're balling out. I don't know how Mark Few does it. I guess it's just kind of like how Jay just seems to get the most out of the guys when, you know, it's time to move on. And it's time to bring in the the next generation of who's going to be a new leader. I guess we see it now with Mikhail Bridges, mainly known for his defensive prowess. We all knew that. We all knew that he can shoot threes off catch and shoot. But now we're seeing what he can do, and he's taking his game to the next level and become a more complete player. We're seeing that with Jonathan Williams. He's a star, 6'9", big man. He's going to be the one that they're going to try to get the ball to. But now, we saw what happened at Battle for Atlantis. Our rim protection wasn't exactly the greatest. Sorry, I know the guys on ESPN2 said that Villanova doesn't really have a rim protector, and then the next thing you see is Omar Spellman just rejecting a guy. Jonathan Williams, he's no slouch. He's fantastic. He's absolutely great. Big man, gets boards, gets buckets inside. I think he had a 39-point game against Florida. If I, I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something crazy mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it was up there. He's a great talent. But this is also, you know, this is a team-first type of dynamic. They don't really have the one dominant guy. I mean, they do have a couple guys leading the way, but they can get a little something out of various people. And I think that's what we can expect from Gonzaga. For Villanova, this is a team that struggled against the three-pointers. So if the Wildcats can get hot, drop, make it rain from deep. They're going to be in pretty good shape. This is a team that barely lost to Florida because Florida drained 17 threes. They just absolutely lit them up from deep. Mm-hmm. But it's also a team that they struggle against the press. They went up against Texas and Shaka Smart's havoc defense, and they were disoriented. They were able to hold off Texas and win. But, the, you know, the blueprints are there. 
we can we see that this is a team that struggles against the three-point line, struggles at the perimeter, lets teams shoot very well, almost 40%. I believe they shoot opponents shoot 38.7% on the Zags. This is, a, this is also a team that struggles against the press. These are two things that we love to do. We love to disorient teams with our 1-2-2 zone press, and we love to shoot the ball from deep. If Villanova mm-hmm. can actually do those things, do them well, I think we're going to see a W tonight at the Garden. It's going to be a rumble. It's not going to be easy, but I think if Villanova can do those two things very well, we're going to be in pretty darn good shape. I have to agree with you. That that press was really working. It's been working throughout the whole season pretty much. I've had no problem with it whatsoever, and I look forward to seeing it against a really capable team like Gonzaga. I want to see how they're able to respond and how we're able to respond if they are able to break it and really get their offense going from that. Gonzaga really had some trouble against uh, some good sh- uh, three-point shooting teams, but I don't know. I kind of kind of feel like three-point defense is a little wacky in the sense that it's like it's a little luck-based too because you can get some guys who are just red hot and then you get lit up or you just kind of it's really not your fault. It's just the way it is. Or and maybe sometimes you could leave a guy wide open and he'll miss like four or five times. You just don't know. So I don't think it's that. I mean, yeah, it, it, it does favor us in that sense. But at the same time, like we were saying before, if like, one bad shooting night from us and their three-point defense goes way up. That is true. But I would like to think that Mark Few and his teams, they're not really luck. Like, I don't think anything's lucky with their defense. They're just perennially great on that end of the court. Top 100, according to Ken Palm, in defense efficiency over the last 10 years. And in eight of those years, they were top 50. Last year, they were number one. This year, they're top 25. Top 30, sorry. So, so still very good. Still very solid. I don't think they're going to be slouches. I think they know what we like to do. I think we sort of know what they like to do. This is a team that I don't think we've... When was the last time we faced Gonzaga? I would love to. I don't think it's ever happened. Yes, that would be correct. We did. We have never played them. Well, that's actually that's actually no, that's not that surprising. But who knows? You know, you never know what would have happened in like nineteen forty-five or something. Yeah, you would think that in the early dawn of both programs, <laughs> they could, they might have crossed paths at some point. But I, I guess not. Just like when we played Texas in football back in like what nineteen fifty-five or whatever that was. Yeah, fifty, yeah, sixty, some random bowl game or. Was it? I don't know if it was a bowl game or a regular season game, but still, that yeah, that was weird. It's some it's something that that really shouldn't be overlooked. This is like Gonzaga's like real last opportunity until March to really make a name for themselves. Because after this, it's basically their conference play, and their conference is isn't very good. They're gonna basically go all out for this. Not that they won, and if it wasn't their last like true competitive game for a while, but this is going to be their last time to show the nation that Gonzaga is still real, that last year wasn't a fluke, even though most of that team is gone, but that Mark View system is, is a legit system and that they can really make some noise this year as well. Yeah, that's actually a great point. This is the time when Gonzaga has to go out and make their money. They got to they gotta work yeah, yeah. really hard in this early season. They always try to schedule these quality non-conference games because these are the the types of games that the committee will look at when it comes to seeding and things like that. Because by the when conference play starts, the, the West Coast Conference outside of BYU, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga aren't exactly the greatest. It's not exactly quality. Yeah, and even BYU and St. Mary's isn't. Yeah, they're just okay. Like, they, yeah, they, they squeeze into the tournament if they're lucky as like an eight nine seed, and then who knows what happens from there. But yeah, so this is that's a great point. They're going to come up for this. They're going to be up for this. This is going to be a big game. It's going to be on ESPN tonight. 
7 p.m. tip-off, prime time at the Garden. I think for a lot of these guys, it's probably the first time they've ever been there. It's going to be a great environment. Granted, it's going to be a, probably a pro Villanova crowd, but they're, it's going to be rocking. They're definitely going to be up for this. Chris, who do you got winning tonight? In the preview show, I picked Villanova, and I'm going to stay with Villanova. I think Villanova wins. I think the East Coast staying close to home favors them a little bit much. I think the pro Villanova crowd will favor them. And also the fact that I just think that they're just a slightly better team favors them as well. <laughs> yeah, Madison Square Garden, the second home of the Villanova Wildcats. I think that the Wildcats do take this one tonight. It's going to be a hard-fought game. There's going to be some flashes of offense, but I think it's going to be overall a defensive battle. Both teams are going to come ready to play. Expect anything but a double-digit game, to be honest with you. I think this will probably be a game won by like eight or six points. It's going to be close throughout the whole time. And we're going to see what guys are really made of. Because as we saw in Battle for Atlantis, there are only two guys that I am that I would trust the ball 100% in a really tight game or in a really big game. And we've only seen Jalen Brunson, Mikael Bridges really step up against some tougher competition. Granted, Tennessee, Western Kentucky, and Northern Iowa aren't exactly the big names that we were looking for. But compared to the rest of the schedule, a lot tougher. I want to see someone else step up. I think this is going to be a marquee game. This is going to be one of those signature wins for Villanova and one of those signature games for Mikhail, Jalen, and hopefully someone else, maybe a Dante DiVincenzo, maybe a Phil Booth. We will see who can take that extra step and join them in just taking over this game. For me, I really hope it's Omari. I mean, he had a great game against St. Joe's, and you know he's got quality competition to go up against with uh, Mr. Williams over there from Gonzaga. So. Hopefully he's able to stay on the same level as him or keep it even, and maybe hopefully Eastman helps him out at the same time. I don't know who would be guarding him, to be honest, if it's Omari or Eastman. But regardless, I'm sure they'll cross paths plenty of times, and I want to see how Omari responds and if he's able to follow up a pretty decent game. Once again, tip-off is tonight at 7 p.m. at Madison Square Garden. You're not going to be there. It's on ESPN. I'll be there. Chris Elaine will be there. Catherine Ryan will be there. Chris, I wish you'd be there, but you're not going to be there. And hopefully, yeah. if you can make it there, you'll be there too. For now, I want to divert our attention to some lighthearted news, some good news. Right after we got off the air on Thursday, that Thursday night after that last episode, there was an announcement in the G League front, the Gatorade League, not the D League. It's no longer that, not, for not some of you who don't know. Right. Forgot about that. Yep. The Windy City Bulls have announced the trade, and they dealt some guys who aren't important because Daniel Ochefu was coming to the Windy City, reunited with his former teammate, his former captain, co-captain, Ryan Archie Diakno. Well, it's nice that the Bulls G League squad did something of note because their pro squad is an absolute dumpster fire right now. Do you think Arch pulled the LeBron James move and demanded this trade? <laughs> we we, we kind of joke about this, didn't we, before? <laughs> yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I, I think I think he might have. <laughs> I think he might have just been like, hey, kind of need a big guy here. You know, I know someone not really being utilized over in Maine. Um, I Daniel Chefu kind of played with him for four years. Won a championship. Won a championship. I don't know if you heard, you know, best shot of all time, all that stuff. Yeah, if you can just uh, 
you could just throw in a fourth round uh, or a second round pick and this uh, bum Wesley Saunders, we, we, we can probably make something work. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, hey, look, it's cool to see them reunited. Granted, it's D-League, which isn't, you know, I mean, it's something. It, you wish it was on the NBA squad, but at the same time, it's still pretty cool to see them together. And hopefully the coach there, I don't know what the coach is, but hopefully the coach there starts them at some point, and then maybe we can, maybe maybe I'll even tune in if, if it's possible. Yeah, they do broadcast G League games once in a while on ESPN. I did watch one once. Don't ask why. I, I'm not even going to excuse and say that, oh, it was just left on after watching something else. I actually did watch it like a half of a D League game once, and it, it, it honestly wasn't that great. It was very forgettable. But yeah, you know, it, maybe we'll see some pick and rolls. Maybe we'll see, you know, a little blast from the past, a little throwback moment. But now that they're together on the Windy City Bulls, uh, it's pretty exciting. I hope Chef came with a bunch of jackets and layers because it, it's brick out there in Chicago. Well, he is coming from Maine, so I guess it might, it might even be warmer for him. I don't know, man. Didn't you hear about that one time when Chicago was like negative 30 and they had to like shut down the city? Yes, but also Maine is a godforsaken place. So <laughs> they do have lobsters. They do. Well, their 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 team name is the Red Claws, named after the lobsters. So, so they they are fascinated with them. I went to Maine once. It was it was dreadful. See, at least Maine has something like you know they have so like some gimmick or like some attraction. Like they're known for their lobsters. But look at let let's say New Hampshire. What's New Hampshire known for? Uh. Trees. A, a pumpkin festival that I went to. I know that they have they like pumpkins up there. <laughs> you went yeah. to New Hampshire. Yes, I went to New Hampshire. It was a pumpkin festival. Me, the, my my family and a bunch of other families from my town went up one year. I believe it was New Hampshire. It was like New Hampshire and Vermont. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. New Hampshire. That's that's what they're known for. They had like a pumpkin seed spitting contest, which are apparently things. There's like records for that. I did not participate. I was a young child. Did not know what was going on. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That sounds it, so it, pretty rough. It was all right because you got it was like all like Halloween stuff going on at the time, and then like we kind of like just did the festival at the end. But like I was with like I was with like my friends and all, so I, it was all right. We we kind of got by. I remember the one time we went, it was like the first year, like the iPod came out or something, or like the second, like the new generation iPod came out, some, something like that. I remember that coming on. So like that was, that was like, that kept me occupied. Tom, look at the mailbox. You got one question and it's from our loyal letter writer, Mike Jacobs. His one question Am I the only irrational Villanova fan who is afraid of losing to Gonzaga because they work with a ton of Zags alumni and fans? Well, Mike, I have one friend in the Washington State area, and uh, I would assume that she's probably in the same boat as you. I, I would say it's not irrational. I, I would I would hate it if I lost if or if Villanova lost and you had to deal with all your coworkers. Heck, that's how I feel when, well, I guess the Giants lose all the time, and I walk into my Jets fans' office. It's terrible. It's never fun. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way with the Packers and, and the Giants, you know, being a Packer fan and Giants country of sorts. Whenever the Packers play the Giants, it, I always get 
hyped up on, you know, the Giants are better or the Giants just have a Packers number or whatever it may be. And you kind of get a little paranoid about it. And then the Packers end up, usually end up losing to the Giants. So then, yes, then it's very, then I, then for the next games, I am very scared. So yeah, it's, it's, it's completely rational. I, I completely get it. Or we can even say it's more, it's kind of like being a Villanova fan in Seton Hall country. We, we're always rationally afraid of Seton Hall beating us just because we just don't want to deal with Seton Hall people. Uh, I would like, Mike, to write back, I would like to know, are Gonzaga fans obnoxious? Oh, I've never interacted with one in my life, probably because of where they're located, and I kind of don't think that they would come to New York. I mean, maybe they're, I'm sure there is probably one in New York, but I don't know a single person affiliated with the university. So I would I would like to know what, what how they're like. I would like to know well, what they do. Are they obnoxious? Is there a fan base we can compare it to as a baseline? I would yeah. like to know how this, how it is. Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't know. I would have no idea. They kind of follow the trend of other Seattle sports fandoms. They're they're probably obnoxious, but I I, I hold out hope that they aren't, and I, I I tend to believe that they aren't. If I had to guess, but if they're anything like the Seahawks fan base, then, then we might be in for a wild ride. Except except Mike Jacobs, because he's cool. He's not an obnoxious Seattle fan. Oh no no not at all not at all. It's just it's not just because I hate the Seahawks or anything that I just associate everyone with being a bandwagon fan who realized Russell Wilson was a thing as of 2013, but that's okay. Mike, just know I have no problems with the Seahawks. Don't pull the plug on me, if anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I hate them. Mariners are okay. I and like they, the Mariners. Mariners are cool. They're okay. I, I used to like the Sonics. Sonics were sick. Oh. Forgot about <laughs> them. <laughs> Wonder who else forgot about them? David Stern. <laughs> he did. That's why I bring them back every year when I play 2K. I start a season as a Seattle Sun. <laughs> they also have the Sounders. Sounders are sick. The Sounders are cool. That's actually, I heard that's a great atmosphere, like for each of those Sounders games to go to. And they're and they were pretty good for a while. I don't know if they were good this year. I don't think they were. But they uh, they have a great atmosphere over there. That's all the time we have for today, of a nation. Hope you uh. Get to really get through today. Hope you. I don't know how you guys are gonna do it. I don't know how I'm gonna get through work today. But I'm just so excited to make my way down to the garden tonight for Villanova Gonzaga. But then I guess I'll watch a little bit of UConn Syracuse. You know, while you're there, I guess might as well catch both. But check on ViewHoops.com. We have a lot of pregame content. We have a lot of sports news updates, previews. We're gonna have the recap on there. Catherine Ryan will be covering for View Hoops tonight. So check back later after the game. And as always, we'll always have the updates, the news, and the scoops on Villanova Athletics, especially men's and women's basketball, which seem to be the only two going on really right now until January. Follow VU Hoops on Instagram, at VU Hoops, or on Twitter, same handle. Also follow this podcast at Pod on Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts on Podomatic, and on iTunes. And also, you can find me, Eugene Repay, on Twitter, at Pay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Danziel, at the Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, I hope you all get really excited for this game because this is probably the biggest one so far. It's going to be a great atmosphere at the Garden. It's going to be a real exciting one to watch. Can't wait. Hopefully, we come out with the dub tonight. We'll be talking about that on Thursday.